What's going on, everybody? You're listening to the High Performance Producer Podcast, where we give you the catalyst to enhance your music career and stop procrastination through actionable strategies. Join myself, Cody, and my co-host, Jared, on a journey to unlock your true potential and gain the skills of self-confidence, discipline, self-control, and the grit needed to optimize your musical journey. going on everybody and welcome to another episode of the high performance producer podcast we're going to be talking about why you don't need to buy more gear today which is kind of a pretty funny topic in my opinion every single producer always just wants to buy the next thing especially with something that recently released was the sp404 the mk2 and how that caused such a huge buzz in the community i thought it'd be kind of funny if we could talk a little bit about how people always see the next shiny object the next uh you said earlier gas gear acquisition syndrome which i thought was an awesome way to put it and that uh, people always just want the next big thing, whatever it happens to be. And it's instead of mastering the skills that they already have or whatever instrument it is, and all these things uh, related to not using the resources that you already have. And we're going to be kind of diving into a lot of this stuff in, in today's episode. Again, and just going over the general topic of why you don't need to buy that next piece of gear. So uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about a little bit, and the first question I want to ask my man over here, Cody, is, what in particular for you, um, when you see these new pieces of gear coming out, right, and you again see these these uh, pieces of candy, so to speak, what makes you not necessarily want to buy them? What makes you say, I'm going to start to use the things that are in my studio and create with those things as opposed to saying, I'm going to go buy this next thing off the shelf? And again, utilizing the resource that, that you have as, a poor, as opposed to trying to get something new. Like, what's, what's your take on that? Well, Jared, I think it's truthfully, I, I think I, I don't necessarily have that, that pull or desire to buy the, the brand new equipment or plug in um, that, that drops because of my previous experience with gear acquisition syndrome. Like I, I think I've, um, and, and a lot of artists and musicians have undoubtedly gone through this phase, or, or if you're listening, you may be going through this phase right now. But for me, I, I had fallen victim to, to putting my my idea of success um, onto onto the need for me to buy a new piece of gear for me to get there, rather than looking internally of what what can I do with what I have to get where I want to go, and and just thinking that this product or this new gear piece of gear, new software was going to help me get there, which is clever marketing. So kudos to the marketing teams behind behind those products. But I think at this point, I've I've realized how exhausting that process can be because, um, yes, uh, sometimes hitting an upgrade on your laptop or your studio monitors or your instrument or the new plugin, like, yes, um, it, it can achieve different results, but you have to remember the learning curve and the hours and the time commitment that's going to be dedicated in, um, in learning and, and trying to master this this new gear. So for me, it's just learning, learning how to utilize what you have. Um, so and I guess the the best example for me is um, I, I utilize Serum for for a lot of my sounds and my lo-fi beats productions, and that's because I've I've utilized Serum for so many hours in all of my electronic productions. And so for me, I could get Omnisphere. I could get I could get some beautiful uh, native instruments sounds for sure. But at the same time, 
I know serum really well. And so that I, I can utilize serum to make a, a nasty dubstep baseline, but then I could also make, I, I can, I can replicate a Rhodes and have a very pretty retro Rhodes feel coming from the same VST. So, um, I, and I, I wouldn't be able to do that if when I first jumped into the lo-fi and chill hop scene, if I would have just looked on the forums and, and bought what everybody else was buying. Um, so I think there's, there's so much strength in, in learning to, to utilize what you have. And, um, and there's so many, there's so many examples of people that are able to become successful utilizing this, this frame of mind. And so for, um, but uh, one more example is, um, Usain Bolt, who's the, the fastest man in the world. He's won, man, I think he won golds at, I think four, four summer Olympics in a row, which is the span of 16 years for an explosive short distance athlete is ridiculously insane, ridiculous. And he's, um, he's based out of Jamaica. And I, I recently watched a documentary that, that featured his story and, um, it, it's kind of like the Rocky scene, right? You have Ivan Drago in Russia with, with all of the new fancy gear. And then you have Sylvester Stallone running up a hill in the snow with a, with law, with just carrying a log over his head. And, um, Usain Bolt sort of had a similar journey where if you look at his training facility, it was, it was a pretty subpar facility and his coaches are all from Jamaica. His teammates are all from Jamaica. They didn't fly in. A, a specialized scientist to to truly um, work on his skills, like in comparison to what you would think the U.S. track team, what resources they have. But mm-hmm. even with the lack of resources, Usain Bolt was he he was able to become the the fastest and most accomplished runner in modern day, and I mean the history of the world. And so I think that's that's definitely solid proof where. Um, it's not necessarily about the gear you have, but the the time and the dedication and the strategies that you put into the into learning and mastering the gear that you already have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. And w- one little subtangent, I guess that's more of a question. I I had actually heard someone else talking about the. Uh, I'm I'm assuming it's the same documentary, but um, is it true that he was like super uh, like not motivated, so to speak, and it was really like the coaches around him that kind of like made him get up to do it. And like got him like really into it. Yeah. Well, and it's a man. What a what a just prime example of a winner. But so he so he's I think he's like six foot seven, maybe six foot eight. Um, like he's ridiculously tall for a sprinter. Or maybe he's six five. I don't know. Let's let's see. But he uh, his historically sprinters are supposed to be shorter, um, thicker, more explosive. Let's see height. So he's six, five, six, five, but I, but most sprinters are like five eleven, And so everybody was telling him that he couldn't be a sprinter, but if he wanted to be a successful runner, he should run the 400 or the 800, um, Something double longer. the distance. And for him, he, his, his reasoning for, for not wanting to run the 400 and the 800 was the, the distance in the training, because the training for those races is, um, I mean, it's quadruple, uh, a 100 right um and, and so so he told his coaches he he entered a race and he he said hey if i win if i win at the 100 and the 200 i'm gonna be that's those are the distances i'm gonna be running and so <laughs> he he went out there and, and ran it and so and that's a, i think that's another prime example of um 
utilizing what you have, right? So here's an example of somebody that has the body type of a 400 or 800 meter runner who learned to utilize what he naturally had to become the world's greatest sprinter. Um, even though he didn't have the body type, the, the typical body type for it, but he, he was able to prove all of those stereotypes wrong or that understanding of science wrong. So, um, prime example of just figuring out how to utilize what you have to, uh, to accomplish the goals that you have set for yourself. Yeah, I think that's definitely, like you said, it's a prime example of it, you know, um, one other thing that you mentioned a little bit earlier when you're going over your point is like the opportunity cost of uh, learning something new or like giving up what you already know to try to acquire new knowledge, so to mm-hmm. speak, or to stack on new knowledge. Um, and I think that people overlook that you hit the same ceiling in whatever resource you have. And in this case, we're going to be talking about music, but this can be applied to things outside of music as well. It's like if you're using, say, a guitar or something and trying to learn how to play guitar or the saxophone, whatever it is, you might sit there for a month or two and then you go, oh, like I, I can't figure out the bar chord or something. You get stuck on like this one particular part. You can't figure out how to do the certain thing on the sax. I've never played a sax. So I don't know <laughs> any of the technical stuff, but it's like you, you get to this point and you get uh, this obstacle that's bigger than the obstacles you faced. And then you usually go, okay, like I'm going to move on to the next thing. And then you start uh, playing the bass or something. You start playing the trumpet or like some other like instrument that's like similar. And then Again, you get to the bass and you realize like, oh, like I can't figure out how to slap the bass or something or whatever the hell, the, the new obstacle in the way. And you again go, okay, okay uh, I can't play bass. I can't play guitar, but maybe I can play the mandolin. And it's like, you start just keep going down the line. You keep saying like, I'm going to acquire the, this next piece of gear. If it's a sampler, it's like the MPC, the machine, the SP, the XYZ, like just mm-hmm. keeps going. And people yep. never seem to um, uh, figure out that you hit the same ceiling in every single piece of gear and you have to push past those ceilings. And it's related to what you're talking about, the opportunity cost, the opportunity cost of learning all of these different things and hitting the same ceiling. You could have instead stack them one on top of the other and continuing to learn and continue to bust through the big obstacle until you face the next one. But it's about having like that commitment and that dedication, so to speak, to make sure that you, when you face that obstacle, whatever it is that you kind of just take it in stride and try to figure out a way to overcome it as opposed to saying, hey, I, I can't figure out how to finger drum on the machine. So maybe I could finger drum on, on an MPC. It's like the finger drumming is exactly the same. Yep. The the piece of gear is not going to change it. It's like, oh, if I, maybe I, if I change my read or something like that in the sax, like maybe I'll sound better. It's like, no, you just got to practice more. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the Indian, not the arrow, I think is, mm-hmm. is the the quote. But I always thought that was so true. It's like you got to figure out again, master whatever it is that you have before you move on to this next shiny object. Whereas you were referring to, um, instead of saying shiny object syndrome, you're saying uh, gear acquisition syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like such an awesome term. And I know you, you got to credit it to somebody else when we were speaking earlier. So you want to talk a little bit more of that and how that even came up in discussion as well? Yeah, so that was uh, Ari God, who's an extremely talented multi-instrumentalist and, and producer based out of the UK. But um, I, I had him on as a guest for the Chilled Samples podcast. And he had he had he had, he had first said gas, and then he explained gear acquisition syndrome, and I I thought that was just an inge- ingenious firm beca- term because um, it, it's it's so real, it, it's so real in regards to um, just just going through that process, and um, especially with with Black Friday coming up, there's going to be a whole lot of gear acquisition yeah. syndrome going on between between a lot of producers, but um, he 
he had initially brought it up because he was, he was talking about the concept of, of mastering a single instrument or skill in comparison to being a jack of all trades. And before we hit record, um, I, I was, I was just talking about how this is there, there's a finicky balance, uh, between being the master of one and being a jack of all trades. And so, I think there's there is so much benefit in being able to to master a single skill to get your your ten thousand hours in on a specific skill, and once you have reached that point, you've you've developed the skills necessary to learn, and then that's when you get to begin uh, mastering other skills and other instruments, and and utilizing the knowledge that you gained from mastering that first single instrument and being able to apply it in different areas. And I think the the best example of that is classical pianists. Um, there's there's a lot of classical pianists that I've talked to in the lo-fi beat scene who they they started playing the the piano at like five years old and then um, they they played up until they were eighteen, started producing music when they were eighteen, and then their project blew up within two years because they they had mastered the piano. And so now when they apply their their skills as a pianist, well then you connect that to Omnisphere or serum and now you have it a completely different you have a unlimited possibilities and potentials with the sound that you have but you have that baseline skill as a pianist to take your productions to the next level so um so i once again i think it's um it's a finicky balance because because learning new skills especially in different areas of your life allows you to grow and become a more holistic individual or holistic artist. But you have, you have to master that one skill or instrument before you start to branch out and to, um, to, to start utilizing your, your efforts elsewhere. So, so Jared, I, I know that's a, that's a convoluted topic, man. So what, what are your thoughts on, on being a master of one in comparison to being a jack of all trades? Well, so I, I kind of fall on more trying to be, the, the I'm like on the fence, honestly, and it's how, it's, it's, there's a couple of reasons why. It's, it's more uh, something that I've been thinking about or rethinking about a lot recently. So uh, at first, I was like, you you need to be a special a specialist, you know, mm-hmm. versus a generalist, right? This is going to kind of contradict a little bit of the, some of the stuff that we said as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, but yep. Um, one of the things that I like to think about it's like what you're saying earlier with the piano, right? With the classical piano, it's like. I'm going to kind of exaggerate or use a slightly different example or make something up. It's like if you practice for 10 years or something or 20 years, right? And then you get into production. It was all of this prep work that really got the the one year or two years or whatever of mm-hmm. production that made that blow up versus spending 20 years in production and then like trying to get the track to blow up, right? Yep. And I think that it was because he wasn't trying to be a specialist and, and continue with being a classical pianist in that case, or whatever, again, that person putting in 10 or 20 hours is and then trying to get some result out of it, right? I think that it was because he was uh, took the skill and applied it to a little a more of a general aspect, if that makes sense. That's what made it magical. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's bringing together a bunch of specialized skills to make a really good generalized skill. Yep. And it's not about having general knowledge of everything. It's about having specialized knowledge that creates a, a greater general knowledge, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, I know it's kind of like a weird way to phrase it, but I like to think about, for example, somebody like Elon Musk, who's able to attenuate to so many different things because uh, of, of that kind of 
he has knowledge in all of these different areas <clears throat> and is able to bring them all together to culminate to something that's a little bit bigger, you know? Yep. Um, or another example, and this is kind of more from, um, uh, I believe, like, so, like some like machine learning kind of stuff, but like with, with chess, um, like when you, you could be like the, the, the rook master, so to speak. Right. And it's like, if you're, if you're the rook master and I'm like a grand master, I can play the whole board with every piece and you can only play with your rook. You're a rook master. Mm-hmm. Who's going to win? Like I'm going to win every yep. time. Cause I can just take out your rooks. Cause I'm the grand master. Mm-hmm. And it's like, weird as that sounds, it's like, you can start to think about things a little bit more like that. Yep. You can come up with um, strategies to, again, piece together things or more or less make things not feel obsolete. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So it's like these things that you maybe didn't feel, again, if you're playing classical piano for 20 years, that didn't feel like you were doing something at the time. But that 20 years was all potential energy to lead up to you doing the production or whatever it happens to be. Yep. It's all the learning and the engineering and going through PayPal and creating X.com for Elon Musk, all this crap that led up to SpaceX and Neuralinks and XYZ, blah, 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 blah. It's like, and people overlook that. Yep. So I know that kind of a little off topic and it's a little bit um, contradictory, mm-hmm. but I believe you have to have a whole bunch of specialized skills that lead to a culmination to this generalized bigger thing. Um, but to get to kind of bring it back a little bit to the, the main topic of why we don't need to buy more gear in particular, um, I think it's important to say that um, once you've specialized in one piece of gear, then you can move on to the next piece mm-hmm. of gear. So once you've literally mastered all the, the piano, for example, and again, this is something that happens when you, when you master the piano and you move on to guitar, it becomes easier to play the guitar or the next instrument because you already have the theory behind. You already have some of the feeling, the the groove even, all that kind of thing, all that nature, you know? Where if you played the bass and then you go to guitar, you already know, understand the fretboard and all mm-hmm. these things or whatever it happens to be for yourself. But by culminating this knowledge and by, again, mastering each piece of gear as you go, you can become the multi-instrumentalist that you're yep. kind of talking about earlier. Um, and I'm assuming that's kind of why that question came up and to, to begin with, um, to bring it back full circle to uh, the the gas statement. So um, I guess with that, I don't know if there's any other points that you had in particular on like helping people overcome not wanting to buy more gear, more plugins or things like that. Well, so I think the, the final bullet in regards to, to being the master of one in comparison to Jack of all trades that it, it is so convoluted because there's so like, even for me being a saxophonist, right? Like, but I also produce electronic music and lo-fi beats and the, the reason that my, my project has been successful was because I was able to infuse all of those different elements into a new, unique sound. And so for anybody that's tuning in that is maybe struggling with this concept, reach out to us and, and try to get a, a third-party opinion because um, it, is a, it is a convoluted, complex line to be walking because there you you can have multiple skills which if you're not a master at all of the skills but you infuse all of them into a single project well that's where some unique results can happen so um i just want to encourage anybody that's questioning their own line of thinking to reach out and just to to get our opinion and and see if we can help uh help clear that up a little bit yeah you said it man as always reach out always happy to help and definitely try to make some of these topics make sense especially when we uh, ramble on a little bit (laughs) such as the end of this one but with that being said it'll kind of wrap everything up so 
again, why you don't need to buy more gear is because first you got to use the resources that you have, learn the gear that you already have, that you've already purchased and really maximize your efficiency in that gear, whether it's a plug-in like Serum, whether it's an actual physical instrument, whatever that happens to be for yourself, make sure that you break through these ceilings and really push yourself to the limit of that instrument or what you think is the limit before you move on. Um, the second thing, as, as I just hinted on, is to make sure when you get to the ceilings of certain instruments or certain pieces of gear, not to just move on and go on to the next piece, to really start to stick with that obstacle and try to take the obstacle is the way, something uh, Ryan Holiday says, or is, I think is the title of his book. And it's basically when you see these things that are culminating these problems, instead of moving away from them, literally take them head on and try to figure it out. Again, push through that ceiling with the piece of equipment or the piece of gear, and you'll start to learn new ways to use it, unique ways to yourself, and you'll sound a little bit different. Um, and then the last thing that we talked about was gas, which was gear acquisition syndrome, and basically how people have this, uh, again, shiny objects. We always want the next best thing. And instead of trying to look for that, again, master the pieces of gear that you have and try to become, again, a specialist in all these little pieces that make you the greatest generalist of something like production, whether that be putting out projects or sample packs or anything of that nature for yourself, if you're a music creator. So with that, hope that this episode helped you. And anything else you got to add, Cody? Jared, that's all I got, man. Awesome. Yeah, man. All right. With that, peace. Peace. Peace.